a speeding bullet. More powerful than a locomotive. Able to leap tall buildings at a single bound. Look, up in the sky. It's a bird. It's a plane. It's- Ron and Anian hit the key. You know, I want to hear it crank. Crank it. And before he does that, she speaks up and she says... Where's the car doctor when you need him? I popped on the overhead light of the Suburban, and I said, I'm right here. And the lady, her jaw just hit the ground. Where is my super suit? The car doctor takes some oil out of the engine, you know, take a couple of drops, put it in a Dixie cup, and put it in the microwave. Okay. All right? And if the Dixie cup sparks, there's metal fragments in the oil. Who wants the pressure of being super all the time? Welcome to the radio home of Ron and Anian, the car doctor. Since 1991, this is where car owners the world over turn to for their definitive opinion on automotive repair. If your mechanic's giving you a busy signal, pick up the phone and call in. The garage doors are open. But I am here to take your calls at 855-560-9900. And now, here's Ronnie. You know, I think your opinion of auto repair and how to fix it really doesn't count. And here's why. Because you're not the guy turning the wrench. You're the guy paying the bill. Your opinion counts on the quality of the repair and the procedure or process by which it was done. Not, hey, I think it should be this part or I think it should be that or you should run these tests and not those tests. That's not your job. And that's what I'm here to help talk to you about and, and, and separate as we march on these next two hours of Car Doctor in here. Um, you know, I thought about it. There's, there's just so much preconceived information. You want to see how fast information changes in auto repair? It just did. Did you see it? Did you see it go by? It went like that. Because what I knew yesterday won't apply tomorrow, and it'll be a distant memory in a week and a half. That's how fast things change. And it's it's moving beyond the speed of light. You know, part of the country is stuck in the, hey, we're going to do electric cars, we won't need internal combustion engines and gasoline anymore, so we're going to have to train a whole new crop of mechanics for that. And the rest of the country, or another part of the country, is still working on 82 Ford Fairmonts. And somewhere in the middle is the rest of us. They're trying to get by with some old cars, some new cars, and trying to deal with the different technologies. I see it all day long. I am the only shop in the area, I think, that now has the scan tools that will work on pre-OBD2 cars. And I must be, because everybody keeps calling to borrow mine, which I won't, I won't loan it out anymore. You've got to bring me the car, and we'll do it together in the parking lot, or... You know, we've got to be on speaking terms, and, and you know, that's a whole other story. That's, a, that's an off-the-air, cup of coffee, over-the-counter kind of story. And it made me think that the, the amount of technology that's out there really constitutes the need for the person doing the repair to know what he's doing or what she is doing, not you. Your job is to walk in. It, you know, I'll put it to you this way, and this is what kind of got me on this. I, a new customer came in this week, Linda and her husband, Mark. And um, I told her, I said, you know, you must have a very interesting family. And she said, how so? And I said, well, you've got an orange car, which is pumpkin. You've got a blue car, which is blue. And you've got a red car, which is ruby. So you've got ruby, pumpkin, and blue. Um, I said, you know, they say that the color of the cars shows the political makeup of a family. I said, and you guys are all over the place. She says, you know, that's actually true because that's the way we are. But at the end of the conversation, she said, I have to tell you, she says, I'm glad we found you. She said, because... 
you know, it's nice to be able to take the car in, no preconceived notions, no games, no nonsense. He just told us what it needed. It needed it. It's fixed. It's done. It's out the door. We're so glad not to have to be able to, we're not forced to tell the mechanic what needs to be done. And I looked at her and I said, yeah, but that's not your job. I said, that's my job. And that's that's what the mechanic is supposed to do. Uh, you know, for all the years I'm doing this, and it's numbering 45 or 46 now, I'm going to have to start doing the math again. Uh, it's it's a, it's a scary number because I'm still going to class I uh, two two a month three a month sometimes, and there's always more technology to learn, and I I always think every time I sit down in a class, how come everybody that tells me how to fix a car all the consumers that are on the other side of the counter I look around nobody's in that class with me, all right they never have been, and I've come to the conclusion that your opinion on what it takes to fix that car probably doesn't count. Get rid of your preconceived notions. Get rid of what your father told you worked. Get rid of what your grandfather told you worked and so on. All right? Pick up a book. Read up about OBD2 diagnostics. Read up about CAN bus networks. Read up about how uh, variable valve timing uh, affects engine operation. Read up about the changes in engine and oil lubrication. And, And those are just some of the things that are going on. There's probably 25 to 30 category changes in auto repair on a daily basis, the amount of information that's being pumped out and the, the new things that they're thinking of to, to make us test and how it works. You don't know how to fix the car. Sometimes we don't know how to fix the car, but that's okay. We'll go to school. We'll learn. We don't need you to tell us. And I say that with a lot of love and respect. Let's get this show started, 855-560-9900. Let's get over to Ellerson in Virginia and see what's going on here. Ellerson, welcome to The Car Doctor. How can I help? Yeah, Ron. Yeah, glad to talk to you. Yes, sir. Yeah, man. Look, yeah, a 2006 Impella, and the check engine light came on. And okay. I've heard if you take the negative cable off a couple of minutes and put it back, it'd probably go out. I took the car was starting fine at first, and I took the negative cable off, and a couple of minutes and put it back on, and then the car wouldn't say a word. And we wiggled and, and jiggled wires and did everything. I called the Chevrolet dealership, and he told me something about the might went in the theft mood and mode and then leave the key on for this and that and whatever. And anyway, I ended up taking it to the Chevrolet dealer because we couldn't get nothing to work. And they said that they, they, something malfunctioned about the body module. And that the budget modules or other than they did something to the computer and they had to reprogram it. No parts were put on it at all, all labor, $230. Yeah, that's about right. Ellerson, is this you? Are yeah, you, this is me. Are you still hiding cars out in the cornfield so your wife doesn't see them? <laughs> yeah, man. Yeah, man, I'll tell you what, that's really cool. How many cars are you up to now? I never five. Yeah, and how many, does, how many does she know about? <laughs> Oh, she, yeah, she peeps through the window. She, she finds five power saws. Yeah. Um, that sounds about right, Ellison. Listen, that's just like the opening conversation, right, about how cars are different now and how we fix cars with software and, and, and sometimes improperly disconnecting a battery or sometimes just disconnecting a battery. Listen, we've had issues with cars. Uh, here, I'll give you an example. Hondas. 14, 13, 14, 15 Hondas, CRVs, and Civics. If you use a memory saver into the OBD2 port when you disconnect the battery, chances are you will blow the fuse in the underhood fuse box and the car won't start. So you're doing it right. You're following procedure. You're trying to save memory and adaptables, and you create a problem. 
And let me tell you, 5 o'clock on a Friday, that's no time to have that problem the first time through, and that's when it happened. So, you know, disconnecting a battery cable, by the way, is the wrong way to clear a check engine light. The right way is let's scan it, let's see what the code is, and then, you know, then let's go through and uh, clear it if you want to clear it using a scan tool. Okay, so in other words, if, if they say disconnect your battery cable if you're going to work on something electrical. So I'm scared to, uh, afraid to check my battery cable loose now because I'm afraid I might not start. So what, I just got to leave it on? And, and, no, and because now I agree. Now, now you should be able to disconnect the battery to work on the car electrically. So, you know, was the key on possibly when you reconnected the cable? No, it was all. Okay. You know, you should be able to connect and disconnect the cable back and forth without hurting the car. All right. Well, i tell you what happened about a year ago, and it brought back a little memory. Uh, I did the same thing, took the cable off and, and put the, put it back, and the car wouldn't say anything. And I waited, and I was in the afternoon, and I waited overnight, and the next morning, the car started. I got in and just tried it, and, and it, it started. It wouldn't start that evening when I took it off and put it back on, but then I didn't, didn't touch it, and the next morning I just turned the key and it started right up. You got something else going on here, brother. <laughs> I'd, be, I'd be looking at all the body grounds on this car, making sure all the grounds are good, clean, and tight, oh, and, okay. and not just the one from the battery cable to the to the chassis, but the one from the engine to the chassis. I'd be I'd be looking at all grounds, all points in between. You've got a bad ground here somewhere, and you're disturbing it by disconnecting it. That would be my it. guess. Look, I, since then, I have added a ground from the battery post to the body, and I'm adding grounds because I've always heard you couldn't have too many grounds. Can't have too many grounds. So, Okay, hey, Ron. Happy appreciate New Year. your time. Happy New Year to you, Ellison. Good to hear Maybe from you, you, brother. You take good care. 855-560-9900. That was Ellison. That's a whole nother... That's a whole nother story on a whole nother level. He's a riot. Um, he's hiding cars out in the cornfield, and I've been talking to him for years and years and years. I'm surprised his wife hasn't found all those cars yet. Um, but anyway, I'm Ron Annie and the Car Doctor. I'll be back right after this. Ron's number handy, 855-560-9900, for when you really need advice on your car. Here's Ron. Hey, let's get over and talk to Mike in Michigan, 98 Lincoln Town Car. Mike, welcome to the car doctor, sir. How can I help? Hey, Ron, thanks for taking my call. You're welcome. I got a 1998 Lincoln Town Car. On the way home from church Christmas morning, I was pulling up to a red light, got on the brakes, everything was normal, but halfway through my braking, the the brake just uh, sunk about another inch. Thought I uh, blew a, maybe a rear brake line or something. I was close to home, so I kept going. Got it home. Uh, there's no. I pumped the brakes in the driveway probably 75 times. Got no uh, puddle. Couldn't find it where it was leaking at all. The uh, level in the reservoir did not go down at all. So my next step, I was guessing, was a master cylinder. Went to O'Reilly's, got a master cylinder, bench bled it. And then when I installed it, I had my, I tightened the fittings, but before I hit the brake once, I cracked the fittings um, and had my wife hit the brakes. We did that about 10 times, hoping I, I wasn't going to introduce any air in the system by doing it that way. But I still ended up with a real soft brake. Um, so then we went through and bled all four wheels, ended up bleeding probably two quarts of, of uh, brake fluid through it. Um, so now, 
I just I'm having a really hard time remembering how soft it was before this whole ordeal happened. As many times as I pumped it, I just can't tell if I've got it to where it needs to be. But I will say, with the engine off, the first pump of the brake, it's rock hard. It's but as soon as I start it up, it still feels a little spongy to me. But I just can't remember if uh, if it was that soft before. So I guess my question is. If the engine is off and you hit the brake and it immediately is rock hard, does that mean there's no air left in the system? Or do I need to take this someplace and have it bled with a scan tool to actuate the ABS modulator? Okay, first things first. Kudos to your wife. She's helping you bleed the brakes. I think that's great. Oh, yeah, her uh, right leg is about numb now as much as we've been doing well, that's, you know, Either that, she's got a leg like gorgeous George. Um, <laughs> you know, she's going to start weightlifting soon. Um, I think that's great. I think that's a cute date. So, yeah. you know, and I know what you're going through, you know, because you always start to play back in your mind ever since, right? You know, the, gee, yep. was, it, was it ever really like that? So is the pedal different than the first failure? That's I would say it's better than the first failure. Okay. I, that's, yeah, I'm, I'm, but it's it's pretty. It's I mean, it, yeah, it's definitely better than that. I'm just trying to figure out if it's as good as it was before it ever happened. Okay. So, have you driven this? No, not right. yet. Stop! Stop bleeding! It's sitting there. Go drive it. You okay. can't. You can't judge a brake pedal, and I've learned this from experience. Just It's just something I've seen over the years. You'll sit there, and you'll pump until you're blue in the face, and is it, woulda, coulda, shoulda? Because there's a certain dynamic of the brake pedal, of the of the pad, and the, and the amount of friction ability of the pad to lock the rotor before it provides resistance to the pedal, before it... You know what I'm saying? There's a whole interaction mm-hmm. of dynamics that go on here. So you get it to the point where, you know, if the first hit... It doesn't go down and it doesn't pump up. Then, in theory, there should be no air in the system, and and okay. the next step would be to judge it by driving it. All right. Okay. Uh, well, one more quick question. Yeah. If, since I obviously introduced air into the lines during this this uh, master cylinder change. Um, that air, I'm guessing, would have had to have made its way through the ABS module. Uh, module. Well, is it possible to be able to 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 uh, get that air out of it just by manual bleeding? Is, I mean, is it possible I did that? Because I've heard that if you get air in that thing, you almost have to take it in to have it uh, uh, professionally bled with a scan tool. I've I've seen it. I've seen it both ways, Mike. And it's okay. it's, it's a judgment call on how good or bad is the pedal. All right, you'll you'll probably end up there because I think you're gonna be you're gonna be curious, for lack yep. of a better way to put it, until you get it back to where you think it's as good as it can be. But the first step is to drive uh-huh. it. You know, one of the things I've always I was always disappointed in is that it's so hard. Because here's the perfect example. I'd love to see that somebody made plugs for the end of the brake lines where they go into the master. Just just put a solid plug into the fitting, bleed the master out. How good's the pedal? Pedal's good, then you know there's no more air in the master, and then work your way down the line. Yeah, and and you can do that. We've actually got some fittings that I purchased, and then I took some brake line and I solder, I I welded in, I made I made my own fittings is what I'm getting at. I've got a variety, but thing is, you're always changing and always adapting. I always thought a tool company missed an opportunity by coming out with brake line fitting updates to you know help in the bleeding process. Um, long mm-hmm. story short, I would tell you to drive this again. And how does it feel? Maybe burp it again after, you know, you drive it because you you are going to dislodge if there's any air in there. You will dislodge some air and push it down closer to the caliper in all likelihood. Will it? Make what about it, getting on a gravel road and forcing it into an ABS situation? Not a Would bad, that help if there's not a bad idea. Uh, it's all good stuff. 
you know, it's all good stuff. Now, you are going to see, is this a rear drum front disc car? No, nope, but it's four, four-wheel disc. So you are going to see any, because now, now it's in your mind, all right, brother? You're going to see mm-hmm. any deficiency in the brake system. And if any one of those calipers doesn't move freely, if anything here is binding and not working as it once did before the master cylinder failure, your mind is going to pick up on it faster than any mechanic would. So, you know, always consider, do we have, do we have, uh, you know, good caliper action at all four wheels? I've actually, yep, I checked them all. I had to replace okay. one because it was the one of the slides was locked up. So I right. did replace one caliper. Right. right. I've actually had scenarios where we've put calipers on four wheel brake cars and the pedal quality will actually suffer because the caliper was stuck against the rotor and it, you know, it, it, it just had minimal amount uh. of movement. And it uh, it takes some driving and it takes some finesse and some finagling to get the pedal back to where it's supposed to be. I know it it, it sort of defies logic. You would think the caliper could adjust itself out and make up the clearance and the difference, but for some reason I've never been able to come up with it doesn't. And it takes a matter of bleed the system, maybe play with maybe play with some pedal adjustment under the dash. Uh, make sure all the caliper slides move. Make sure the pads move in their brackets. There's a bunch mm-hmm. of things that you have to go over. How many miles are on this car? 240,000. So is there any slop in the pivot underneath where the pedal hinges going into the booster? No, I can't. No, not that I've noticed. Okay. I've never really inspected that, you know, for that, but I not by driving it, you know, I, I've never really noticed right. anything like you that. May wanna, you may want to take down the lower valance and get under the under the dash, under that front seat, and just, you know, take your hand and, um, you know, stroke the pedal, look to see is there any slop. Now, keep in mind, you know, you want a little bit of give there because you don't want to be, you don't want the pedal to always be on. It'll keep the brake lights on. But at a quarter million miles, I wouldn't be surprised there may be an adjustment on that uh, nut with the push rod going into the booster. If there is, yeah, you may want to tweak it just a hair. Mark it beforehand so you can always put it back because um, I bet you there's a little bit of slop here, too, and that's going to transmit to a low pedal in your foot when you're applying the brake. But drive it first, and then we'll go from there. Talk to you soon. I'm running Andy the Car Doctor. We're back right after this. Let's get over to Alan in Florida, 1990 Ford Ranger 2.9, and a uh, high idle issue. Alan, welcome to the car doctor. How can I help? Well, I'm trying to figure out if I can, uh, if the uh, uh, rear, uh, the gear ratio in the rear end has affected the uh, uh, the computer. Okay. So tell me the story. What's going on here? Well, when I picked up the vehicle uh, 15 years ago, um, the guy told me it changed load the gear ratio in the, in the rear end. Uh, I drove it for some time and then realized that the uh, um, I had an issue with the high idle. I come up to a stop sign that's still idling a little bit high. What's high? And then it will. Then it would settle down. What's high? Um, at 1,200, 1,400. Okay. So what you're saying is it it you're pulling up to a traffic light. And it, it's at 1,200, and then it drops to normal? After I, Yeah, after I stop. Okay. Um, I've got an 87 Ranger V6 3-liter. Yeah. Does the exact same thing. Okay. If that answers your question. So uh, they, they, they will have a bit of delay, all right? My experience has been they will have a bit of delay. 
All right, it's not it's not an instantaneous you know drop back to idle. Now, where is idle? Is idle is idle 800 700? This is a stick. I have I have, I basically have the same thing, different engine. You have a 29, I have a 30. Right. All right. Uh you know, and, and idle. idle is around uh, 750 800. Yeah, that's a, and that's about where they idle. All right. Now, how far off is the and I'll tell you the story. I'll I'll even add to the story. Um, I've replaced the rear in the truck, although I use the same gear ratio, so that won't apply. So yeah. how far off is the rear gear ratio? 20%, 10%, 15%? I don't really know the numbers or anything like that. I, that's one thing I don't know much about. Okay. Um, I can uh, I can give you a simple way to check it. Yeah. Do you live near um, the highway, or can you get out to the highway with the truck? Oh, yeah. Go mile marker to mile marker. With the vehicle reading 60 miles an hour. Or for that matter, and, and just time it. It should take a minute to go mile marker to mile marker at 60. I see. Or, you know, do you have a smartphone? Uh, yeah. Download the app. They have a bunch of speedometer apps. You can download no charge. Oh, I see. And it'll give you... It, it's it's probably within a mile or two of dead reckoning of actual yeah. speed. Yeah. It, I know my speedometer is off. Right. Right. Well, the, the question will be how much. Now, the other thing you have to be aware of is sometimes speedometers are off at different um, different mile per hour ranges. Uh-huh. All right. As vehicles age, and this is an older vehicle, not knocking it, just this is an older vehicle. I've got I've got an older car that the speedometer is is dead reckoning on. It's good from zero to sixty. Above yeah. sixty, it starts adding two miles every five miles an hour over. Yeah. So yeah. you know that's a that's a that's a mechanical cluster in the spring that provides tension against the counterweight is getting stretched out. But you know yeah. to go in and change it, I'll probably never find another spring that close yeah. to being accurate anyway. Um, yeah. Hence well, the I reason chased all, I chased all the vacuum lines. I chased all the sensors. I replaced everything I could find. I can't find anything wrong. But, right. So I like replaced everything. Do you have a scan? Now, I, do you have a scan? If I shut the thing off, right. this computer reset it. It's fine. For how long? Um, not very long. It reverts back to what it was. Right. It learns. Right. Is that a computer issue? I think it's normal. We do. Well, what I would, the other thing I would do is, you know, if if you want to really see, um, well, I don't even know that that's a fair test. I was going to say disconnect the IAC and drive it and see what happens. But I really think what you're seeing is. It, Remember in the old days when cars had carburetors? Yeah. All right? And what they have on the side of the carburetor is, as, as more emission controls came on board and things got a little more complicated, they had a dash pot, right? They had a mechanical dash pot that kept the throttle from slamming shut. Right. I think what they're giving you is they're giving you an electronic dash pot because my Ranger does the exact same thing. To tell you the truth, it's done it since... And I, I've, I actually worked on my Ranger. It used to be a customer's vehicle. And then when it blew the rear, we didn't want to fix it. We bought it from him. But I worked yeah. on that truck, geez, probably since it had 40,000 miles on it. And, yeah. and you know, it's done it as long as I've ever seen it. It's never really given me cause for concern. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I remember right back to what you said about the old vehicles. They used to have back pressure when you let off the throttle. Well, right. They'd have a da- well. They'd have a dash pot, right? They wouldn't want the throttle to slam shut. They wouldn't want the idle to drop down. To was uh, you know to to base idle right away. They wanted it to get there on a cushion. Uh, yeah. This vehicle have air conditioning. I'm sure it does. Living in Florida, 
Yeah. Well, yeah, I bought the I bought the vehicle in Alaska. Okay. <laughs> and and you know if it's got air, I bet I bet the I bet the way the idle drops down low is a little different with the air on than the air off. Does that change it? Um, and that doesn't seem to affect it. Okay. Because I'm thinking yeah. I'm thinking maybe engine load. Uh, you know, do this. Let's let's be scientific about this. All right. Um, however you do it, figure out how far off that speedometer is. All yeah, right. I can tell, actually, I can tell you how far off it is. It, it's off four four miles an hour up to about thirty, and then up to forty, it's about three miles per hour off, and then up to about sixty, it's almost it's about a mile off. Okay. So seventy is about seventy. How do you how do you know that? What are you gauging that against? Um, oh, like with my phone, uh, GPS. Okay, so you do have a GPS on your phone. You yeah. do have miles per hour on your phone. Yeah. Okay. Then you know, as much as it as as much as much work as it might be, I think to go through and change the gear ratio, I don't think it's going to matter. I think I think that generation Ranger it was either there was a three seventy three gear ratio, and the next one was way down was three twenty three. I think that's, and you probably have the highway gear. You probably have the lower numerical gear, the 323s is what you're telling me. So what you could do is if you can figure out, and there's there's ways to figure out what gear ratio is in this, mark the drive shaft, spin the wheel, count the number of revolutions, you could see if uh, the factory scan tool, the IDS, has the ability to program what rear is in the vehicle under calibration. I don't know if it'll do it on a 90. That's kind of old. You know, yeah. it was probably stored in the processor at the time of the flash when the vehicle was first uh, when the vehicle was first assembled. But yeah. th- there are ways to correct that. But I don't think that's going to fix it for you. The yeah. last the last thought I have is if you have access to a scan tool, and you think this is you know a vacuum leak, I'd love to see what fuel trims are. Yeah. I'd love yeah. to see I'd love to see where fuel trims are. I'd love to see what O2 sensor activity is. If everything looks normal, I'm back to my first statement. I think what you're seeing is a normal condition for that generation truck. That's what they tend to. That's my experience. I haven't seen a lot. I will. I will admit that I have not seen a lot of manual transmission Rangers. I've seen five, and I I can attest that I've seen four of them do it. Three of them do it. Four of them do it. Four. I can see. I've seen four of them do it. I have to think back in my mind. It's been a while since I've seen them all. Yeah, no one's. Um, you haven't ever changed the computer out. No, nah, I've never had to change the computer out. And the truck ran fine. It never gave me. A, it never gave me a light. It never gave me a stalling issue. It never gave me a reason to even consider it. Huh. So, you know, unless you've got a symptom beyond, hey, I think you know, here we are again. You know, I, I think the idle speed is too high. I'm going to tell you, I think it's normal. Huh. Come to New Jersey. Okay. Come to New Jersey. You can drive my '87. You'll see. Hey, what exit? Uh, exit 66, I think we are off the parkway. Uh, I, used to, I lived there for nine years. Oh, where? Uh, Pennington. Oh, okay. Yeah, and you're, no, you're not far enough up. you got to come all the way up. you gotta, oh, okay. you got okay. you got to come all the way up to the land of pizza and good bagels. So, is that Red Packs? <laughs> uh, no, that's even further. We're way up. Let's see. Where, uh, what exit are we off the parkway, Mikey? Are we 66? I think we're 66. Mikey's scratching his head now. I got him thinking, too. Or are we 166? We're 166. That's it. I knew there was okay. another number in there. Yeah. <sighs> anyway. Yeah, that's... we're passing through there this, this, uh, this spring. I'll be coming up through. All right, well, you're always welcome. Listen, the coffee pot's always on. I tell Good that deal. to everybody. So, All right, Alan? 
Thank you very much. Ron. You're very welcome, sir. You take good care. Have a happy new year. 855-560-9900. The car doctor's coming back. Don't go away. Welcome back. We're on the name of the car doctor. Tony in Georgia, 09 Dodge Ram. What's going on here? Tony. How you doing, buddy? I love listening to your show. You there? Yes, sir. How are you? Can you hear me good? I can. Can you hear me? Tony. Oh, yeah. I can hear you great. It made a real weird sound at first, and then it's good. Yeah, that's my voice. That's that's the natural tone of my voice. Um, It just sounds weird. (laughs) So um, that's why they put me on radio. Well, actually, that's that's a whole other story. How can I help you today, kiddo? Well, I, first off, I love your show. I've been listening to it over the last year. I own a lawn care business here in Georgia, and all day while I'm mowing along, I uh, listen to the show and really, really, really enjoy it. So let me let me ask you um, a question before you ask me a question. You ready? So you do yeah. You do lawn care. Do you repair mowers or you cut grass? I cut grass. Okay. Has the ethanol issue affected you with your mowers? Um, it really has not affected me that much. I, I have had a fuel line dry up, you know, here, there, you know, that I've, you know, had to replace, but really that's about it. I, but maybe that's because, you know, the fuel, you know, I run through 10 to 20 gallons a week, you know what I'm saying? Right. So it doesn't really sit in there. How many, you know? mo- how many, so, mo- how many mowers are you running on a weekly basis? Um, in, I have in season. Well, I have four different mowers, okay. you know, that we use here and there and, and there's no snow or anything here, so we're we're out working in the yard year round. No snow. Um, Holy cow! No snow. That's against that's <laughs> against the religion here in New Jersey. Um, you know. Well, my dad and his whole side of the family is from upstate New York, so I'm oh. pretty familiar with what you guys got going on. So, so you're the other yeah. end. Of, you're the other end of the spectrum. You were the good son. You got out. Uh, I hear you. Yeah. Well. Well, my mom. My mom's from Georgia, and once they got married, they moved here. So I've been here my whole life. Right. So, see, yeah. uh, once again, the rule applies. If mom is not happy, nobody's happy. Shh, don't tell anybody. That's so, true. <laughs> how, how can I help you, Tony? What's going on? All right. So I got a P0171 lean code on my 2009 Ram 1500. Right. And I've been chasing it for almost a year now. Um, you know, I've, I've cleaned the injectors. Um, I've checked resistance on injectors. I've even rented the little little lights to make sure the power is good to the injectors. Um, I had a couple broken off exhaust manifold bolts, and me and my dad welded through a nut and extracted all those and all new gaskets. Um, I got a new Mopar map sensor, um, and of course I ran the injector cleaner through it. And um, and then I, I even bought a smoke machine to, uh, to test for vacuum leaks and tried multiple different vacuum what? locations what? and with a big plug tested back through the exhaust, clean the throttle body, got new um, iridium spark plugs, all new O2 sensors, and uh, my fuel trims are pretty good. They're, you know, minus three at idle, minus five or so, you know, when you get moving. Right. Um, I've cleaned the PCP, and I have a, I do have a range MDS manager on there to turn off the MDS, um, but it's, and the truck runs great, drives great. It's just every now and then when you're sitting there at idle, boom, you know, bing, little check engine light will pop on, and this is this is the code. Do you do you and have the so, ability to look at freeze frame? Do you know what freeze frame is? Um, y- yes. Well, I'm 
I'm not a professional like you, but yeah, I do. It's okay. Do you, um, do you know I, I have a, uh, I have a blue driver scan tool, which is an awesome, awesome little tool. It does have freeze frame. I'm pretty sure. Okay. And it has uh, mode six and it has all that. So, you know? so um, get familiar with freeze frame on your tool. You want to go look at that. Okay. Because freeze frame is a video snapshot of what the conditions were when the code set. I'd like to know. I'd like to know what we're chasing. I'd also like to know is if if and typically fuel trim fault codes will set twenty five percent or beyond. So if bank one goes to twenty six, but bank two is at twenty two, you're going to get a fault code for one, not two. But two being that high tells us something too. Also. I'll use the word also instead of two. You get what I'm saying? Right. Well, it's, it's, it's always set the code for that bank one. Um, my, you know, my long-term fuel trims, you know, are 1.6 through 30.5 on bank one. Um, and you know, so it's, it's weird. It's like, a right, sometimes I'll, like you, you, it won't come on for a few days and then, all right, I'll tell you. I'll tell you what, Tony. Sit tight. Let me pull over. Take this pause. I don't want to rush this. We'll be coming right back. I'm running in the car doctor. Don't go away. Welcome back. We're running in the car doctor, Tony. You're still there. Yes, Tony. So here's the deal. All right, we want to look at freeze frame. Freeze frame is going to tell us what the fuel trim was on bank one when this happened. All right, we want we want to look at short term. We want to look at long-term. We also want to be aware of fuel trim on bank two. Like I said, if bank two is encroaching 20 to 25%, but it doesn't hit the 25% mark, if it's at 20% and bank one is at 26%, 25 being the point at which it sets the fault, I'd be looking for something common to both banks. If it's if it's strictly bank one, if bank one is at 26% and bank two is at... 5%, then I've got to look for something that's particular just to bank one. You get what I'm saying? Right. Okay. That's, um, that's, could it, could it, the only thing I haven't checked, I haven't checked fuel pressure yet. I mean, the fuel pump sounds good when you turn the key on. Do you well, think that could be something? Or? I, I could answer that question. You, here, you answer the question real quick. If both banks are showing lean, do you think it could be a fuel pump? Well, only... Well, only one bank is showing lean. Okay. If if one bank is showing lean, explain to me, and I'm not saying not to check it, but how could it be a fuel pump only on one bank? Both both banks are fed by the same pump. doesn't make any sense. So start thinking of how this works. If this was a lawnmower, how would you fix it? And you just multiply it by eight for the number of cylinders. All right? Last thing, just think about could there be a bulletin update for this? I don't think it will be. I think it's going to be more than that. But look at fuel trim, fuse frame, look at bulletins. Think about swapping O2 sensors side to side. Call me back. I'm running into the car doctor. Good mechanics aren't expensive. They're priceless. 